0: Hello there, one and all. Uh I hope you haven't missed us too much. Um so just in case you're wondering, I won't dwell too much on this, but um basically we're in a I'm or I'm in a uh new new office, new environment, um, and uh I'll tell you about that in another video. Um but um but Ralph, you had a very nice look at that. Very nice, very, very classy, very classy. Um Christmas present. Hello? <laughs> Christopher. Uh, some sort of an exciting Christmas present for you.
1: Yeah, sorry guys, uh, I uh, that was a trilby. A trilby yeah. is a hat for those who don't know, and mm-hmm. if you're not watching me, of course you can't see that. But that's <laughs> my <laughs> yeah. Yeah. my my wife uh, gave me a trilby as a as a present, and nice. this is like Frank Sinatra, classic Rat Pack. It? you can only really wear that in London and get away with it. It's for the old old duffer bars you know where nice. hotels where you have smoking lounges and stuff so nice. it's unlikely i'm going to wear that a lot but anyway right. there it was and Very by nice. the way happy new year to everybody guys and uh, mm. thanks for tuning in again
0: brilliant brilliant so yes um so yeah so there we go um ralph's got a new hat <laughs> i've got a new office um <laughs> and um so anyway um what i thought we'd do today as uh, this is the first um you know the 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 first podcast uh for us of the year um is to actually talk through a few of the themes um that i brought up in watson's yearly now um, watson's yearly for those who don't know is um part of the resources of watson's daily um and um it's what i've been writing over the last four weeks so um I've written, I think it's it's now about 55,000 words over the last four weeks. Um, and that has been comprising writing all of the um, Watson's monthlies. Um, and then that then has fed in to Watson's yearly. So for those who don't know, so Watson's yearly um, is available to subscribers um, of, of Watson's daily. Um, and, you know, it summarizes what the news, all the news of last year uh it also gives you a calendar for stuff that's happening this year um it also um does a a rundown of all the g20 countries plus a few extra so just to give you a flavor a sort of global flavor um and tells you when um elections are for instance because I, you know hopefully many of you know that um 2024 there's going to be something like i think it's something like 80 percent of the world's um population are going to be um subject to uh you know basically doing elections this year so it's going to be a massive year uh, and we're going to talk about that in a minute um and then the last um The last section of of Watson's uh, yearly um, is talking about some of the themes of um, this year, which we are going to talk about now. Now, um, the thing is with Watson's yearly, unlike any other yearly report I've ever seen in my life, um, it's going to be a live um, document. So a lot of yearly reports, they are useful for a few weeks at the beginning of the year and to give you a good Roadmap for the rest of the year, and all that sort of thing, but then then everyone forgets about them. but this one i'm going to revisit, so i'm going to literally get these themes i'm going to stick them on that wall behind the um computer here um, and every time there is something that comes up um that is uh, within these themes, I am going to update watson's yearly, so you will be able to see how things change over the year within these themes. So there you go. So, um, so in ter- so, what are the themes themselves? So, um, I've actually picked out six, uh, and by the way, when I first started writing, um, Watson's yearly many years ago, um, I used to use loads and loads of different sources. I used to get a lot of, um, friends of mine from, um, you know, uh, investment banks and things to send me lots of different materials of annual reports and, things you know um from other investment banks um and yeah i've done that over the years i use the economist um i've used all sorts of things i've used wired i've used what else um i've used monocle even um i've used all sorts of different magazine i one year i used something called the nikkei trendy which actually we did used to use when i was a broker to talk about the new themes of the year and it, it's actually very good but it just takes a while to translate um but anyway what, would I? <laughs>
1: yeah what um, would I, the spectator yes
0: yeah so i mean i've used so many sources anyway as time has gone on and as i've written so much stuff over the years and remember last year um i wrote the equivalent of war and peace over last year um so that's over five hundred and fifty thousand words or some, something like that. anyway so I have just sat back over this this Christmas period and I've really thought about actually what are the themes because there's loads of themes and they're kind of boring and you know quite samey and anyway so these are the ones that um, I, I wanted to mention so firstly um, populism and democracy these are things to look out for in 2024. Second, um near shoring um, I'm going to tell you a bit more about each one um, as we go on, but uh, next number three is um, deglobalization or an acceleration of deglobalization. Um, the fourth one is renewables, fifthly, um, more targeted use of AI, um, and um, fourthly, the uh, increased importance of um, the Gulf states in terms of um, growth, uh, you know, growth potential for various different industries. So with regard to populism, democracy, I touched on it before, I said that um, something like 80% of the world's population are going to be, you know, subject to an election this year. Um, certainly in Europe, we have seen a swing to the right, and it does look like populism is rising in popularity again um and so i mean we saw a, a bit of that last year with um, Maloney in uh, in italy um winning the winning the general election um after you had a real europhile uh in mario draghi the safe pair of hands the one that everyone wanted the one that was invited back by the um president um uh, of italy he basically got shoved aside for the the you know the, this populist um, prime minister so there's one then we saw at the end of last year uh, gert wilders um in 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 the netherlands um when doing really well and sound by the sounds of it kind of surprised because um he then thought oh, well i have to rein in some stuff because actually i might have a serious chance of getting elected properly so i need to be more um uh, a, 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 you know, a, a more attractive to the uh, to, to the voting public. Um, so, so populism uh, is rising. Um, the second thing about is um, theme is is about nearshoring. So, I think uh, it would be fair to say the last three years we have seen um, we've seen COVID. So, we've seen a global pandemic. We have seen um, supply chains um, you know, disrupted by war in Ukraine and now war in the Middle East, uh, as well as other things. Because do you remember when that uh, oil tanker was trying to do a three point turn in the Suez Canal and failed miserably, and that snarled up um, supply chains for a good few months after that. Um, so I think nearshoring is going to be, so nearshoring is basically making stuff closer to, to where you want the, you know, uh, to where the customer base is, are so I think we're going to see that because global supply chains, uh, there's 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 a lot of scope for more disruption of global supply chains. So that's why I think nearshoring is interesting. Um, then, and that includes things like um, you know, obviously it's very good for manufacturing, but also potentially uh, good for warehousing and things like that because they're going to have to have more um, supplies in more different locations to make sure they don't get caught uh, caught short. Uh, The third thing is more deglobalization, kind of um, uh, related to the nearshoring, but also the fact that over the years um, we've all become very reliant on, let's say, tech coming from Asia, um, you know, sort of cheap uh, goods manufacturing from China um, I mean, th- th- you know, there's there's all sorts of of different stuff that we've got used to, um, but over the last few years, we've actually found that in fact there's there's too much. We're relying too much, and in certain places for supplying all of this. Um, so I think that there's going to be more. Um, you, you know, this whole um, the, the whole idea of globalization is going to change. So I think there's there's that um the next one uh, number 4 is renewables um and renewables is all about um the use of um uh, so so t- uh, again uh, since the ukraine war we have seen um that more countries have just have suddenly thought wow we are so reliant on russian gas or russian oil or whatever um we've got to do something about this so germany being a, a particularly strong example of this um, so there has got, they uh, countries have become more conscious about wanting to generate their own power. So um, they can do this either by building LNG terminals and things, and we've seen an uptick in exports of LNG from America, in particular, um, as countries want to de-emphasize their reliance on, let's say, Russian, you know, Russian gas um but also we're going to see more offshore onshore wind solar you know as more countries invest more money in this but also it's going to be a big um i think there's going to be a big move in nuclear as well because we if last year was all about the introduction of small modular reactors and the planning and things this year is i think is going to be more about okay so where are we going to do it? When are we going to start? And it's going to actually start in earnest. Um, fifth one, more targeted AI, is all about um, last year. We all got to play around with AI. Um, a lot of us, you know, did it for the first time. Lots of fun, um, lots of weird things happened, lots of hallucinations. Um, but I think that actually there's going to be, an important it's going to be very important to make money from ai because so much money has gone into it and one thing is i think so with more targeted ai could be something like my suggestion would be linkedin um so for instance linkedin i think um is the best uh database in the world for cvs um it is better than other, it is superior to other um, sources. Like even if you are a a global recruiter, um, the thing is with LinkedIn, it's generally more up to date. It's not all always across the board, but generally it's more up to date. When people change their role, they tend to change their LinkedIn, or at least they change their LinkedIn once they've um, gone past their probation period. Um, So they do that. Um, But, I think that um, LinkedIn will get its wish potentially. I mean, it's not, I mean, I think it's an unofficial wish. So it's my thoughts as to what it wants to be. It wants to get rid of recruiters. um, And it has improved tools over time so that search can be more specific. But my argument is if you actually overlay that with more and better AI, suddenly you really are going to be able to invent a portal or provide a portal that is truly useful um for people for companies that want to hire people and wouldn't it be isn't it lucky that uh microsoft owns linkedin and it also happens to be very well in with open ai which obviously has chat gpt so if you put linkedin chat gpt microsoft all together I think you end up with something that could be pretty powerful. The last thing um, is the Middle East, or may, well, the Gulf States in particular. Um, and I feel that they are provide, uh, especially with China faltering at the moment, they provide um, a region where, but where you can um, in, invest, countries can and in, and industries can invest money without um offending the americans um and they these places are very much growth there's a lot of growth going on they've got loads of money they can do all this stuff um and um i wonder whether these region, this region or these these certain countries are going to become like china was to the rest of the world maybe 20 years ago when it kind of was the only place where there was truly massive growth i mean the days of G- annual gdp growth of 10 12 or whatever um you know that was unheard of elsewhere so uh all pretty amazing but anyway those are the things that we're going to talk about today um i would like very much to get uh, ralph's uh, spin on all this because he's a genius as we all know um, so, um, so anyway, so the first one, populism, democracy, will democracy survive? We've got some pretty important elections this year, haven't we? Uh,
1: yes. So on, on that, I mean, mo- most of these themes are we're not going to be able to, of course, explore in the uh, narrow confines of this particular one podcast, but we're going to revisit these over the year, I believe. And maybe we're going to do specific podcasts on uh, perhaps not each theme, but certainly the ones which are going to be more topical. This Mm -hmm. first one is clearly very much topical and is going to remain topical for most of this year and beyond. It's the theme of how populism And democracies interact, how populism is a danger to democracy, but also paradoxically how democracies enable populism. Because let's first briefly look at the evidence and we don't have to look far, the evidence is all around us. We see, and you mentioned a few examples of that of course, we see populism rising in Italy that has happened. We have recently seen Geert Wilders in in the Netherlands establishing Mm -hmm. his far-right party there. We have seen Brexit. That's not exactly the same, but it is, of course, something which has been the consequence of a very focused campaign, partially fueled by disinformation. And it is interesting to no Brexit in the list of this because it is the result of a referendum. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Just a few more examples, things which have not yet happened. We are looking at Germany. We see, and this is uh, troubling, the inexorable rise of a far-right nationalist party in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I can just bring myself to not say again Whoops, I've said it. I mean, it's basically impossible to think of the AFD mm-hmm. without invoking some sort of historical context. Um, and finally, and most topically for this year, it's, of course, Donald Trump. Mm. Now, Donald Trump is a fascist. And I'm not saying that uh, to smear him or to be polemical, because it is, there, there's a long list of criteria and political philosophy of how fascism is defined, but one most important one is that a fascist demands loyalty to the person and not to the office. Mm-hmm. So it would be akin to our king demanding loyalty to him as a person, rather than to the office of the crown, mm-hmm. and this is clearly what President Donald Trump has done uh, when he was in office, and I believe that is what he's going to do again if he comes into a second term of um, term of office. Now, talking about this a little bit more general, and then we move on to the next theme because, of course, we haven't got infinite time uh, this mm. this season, this this episode. There is um, a strange and paradoxical link between democracies and and, and populism. Uh, Populism always rises when people have reason to believe that they um, are hard done by. Uh, Maybe Mm. household incomes aren't high. Maybe the economy isn't doing very well. Maybe there is a loss of identity as a population. And does all of this ring Uh, True. Yes, it does, because that is exactly the times in which we live. We have high inflation, high interest rates, we all know what that means, (laughs) we've discussed it lots of times, but we Mm -hmm. wouldn't have needed to discuss it, we all know this. Mortgage costs are massive, electricity costs are high. And at the same time, we have a lot of immigrants coming into all of our societies, not just the UK, also Germany, the Netherlands, and everywhere. And this is leading to a loss of identity of the people who lived in this country sort of originally. I make this sound a little bit more naive and simplistic than it actually really is. But the situation is that it is, I believe, a legitimate demand of a society to maintain a self of self-identity. This in itself is not a right-wing statement and one needs to acknowledge that this is a legitimate demand. Once this sense of self-identity is perceived to get diluted, then you you open the door to the arguments of populists who use that anger, that dissatisfaction in, this, in society to push their own agenda. Mm. And that has happened in the Netherlands and in all of these other countries which I mentioned. And we will need to explore in perhaps the podcast which we're doing on this to which extent democracies can defend themselves against subversion from within. Because Mm. that is the danger here, subversion from within. People who rise through democracies and then systematically dismantle checks and balances in the democratic governments. Trump has tried to do that. Uh, we have historical examples where dictators rose from democracies and through the, the systematic dismantling of the checks and balances of the institutions of these democracies have established themselves as a dictator, and that is the issue. The issue is there. All of our societies, I think, facing these with some uh, level of, of, of severity this year, and uh, not just this year, sorry, in 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 this day and age, let's say, mm. and we will need to explore to which extent democracies can uh, safeguard against subversion from the scene. And this is now where I also stop on this, but just wanted to bring my earlier comment back, where I said that Brexit is important in this list because it was a referendum. My mm. view would be that one of the arsenal of um, Um, in in the arsenal of democracies to safeguard against that would be to disallow the referendums. Hmm. My provocative statement on which I want to end this particular snippet on this is democracies work well. They are the only way in which modern societies can organize themselves, but they need to be managed. Just like everything else needs to be managed. And my cynical insight, well, this is it's not cynical, but it is provocative. I do realize this. I would say, as a guiding mantra, it would have to be um, as much demos as necessary, as little as possible. Hmm. That is why referendums are out, and we need representational democracies, I would say, with proportional representation. Okay. That's just a starter
0: for 10. There will be more to follow on this, I'm sure. Brilliant. Very good. Okay. So the next theme is about near shoring. And obviously, we've seen this whole thing over the last few years. <coughs> Sorry. Um, we've seen the thing over the last few years where supply chains have broken down. Um, and I think that, you know, we are going to need to see um, a, 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 a the production coming back home i think um but what do you think about that yeah
1: the problem with that is 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 absolutely true i mean if you you think about globalization what you're basically saying is that you offshore your manufacturing bases to another country and maybe you will be able to benefit from lower labor costs in this country this has traditionally been the reason for that but if you do that you by the way being companies of course specific agents in the economy Mm. so if one does that then you still have a trade-off. You have a trade-off between the political stability of the country into which you offshore the manufacturing base Mm. and the economic benefit which you are hoping to harvest from that. Mm. If the political risk, meaning the risk of perhaps governments being overthrown or governments becoming less stable, in that country of destiny, where you put your your target country, if, if the political risk in these countries rises, then it may no longer be advisable for you to offshore your manufacturing base into that. So as a simple equation, you might say, the more political risk, the less globalization, or the more political risk, the less is globalization A a no-brainer a, um, a feasible m- module in your corporate strategy and so if we now look at the political risk is no again we don't have, unfortunately we don't have to look very far we only have to look to russia to understand that there is certainly at least one country which has dropped out of the canon of um countries which you can legitimately identify as those where you can offshore your manufacturing base mm. Mm. and I don't think I'm going to say anything um a- anything controversial if I say that Russia has become for the next decades I believe a pariah and a menace to the world, but certainly to Europe, I do not believe it is difficult or controversial to state that the European NATO members have to prepare for the potential um, risk of a war with Russia, because if what we're seeing at the moment is the destabilization of the situation uh, on one of the eastern <clears throat> eastern borders of 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 the European countries with, with Ukraine, but linking mm. back to Trump, if Trump comes in for a second term of office and commensurately pushes the agenda America first, which basically is isolationism, defunding the support with the Ukraine, then Russia may well extend their influence in Ukraine, indeed even win that war. Uh, Looking 10 years ahead, I don't find it difficult to envisage a situation where he might want to test Article 5 of NATO by invading one or indeed all of the Baltic states. So Mm -hmm. I think it is reasonable to expect Russia to remain a country of very high political risk, indeed a menace where you can't you can't offshore your manufacturing base into Russia. China is a difficult situation. We will have to see whether such a political development will embolden China to invade Taiwan, And and, and such a geopolitical move, of course, would commensurately lead to China becoming a higher political risk as well, which is actually jumping to another one of your themes, which is always by a process of elimination, the Middle East East remains Mm. one of the last vestiges of potential growth to invest in. So Mm. coming back to home, literally Mm. now, Mm. means that, yes, uh, I believe countries will look at um, stabilising their manufacturing base onshore and to the extent that they are part of a a economic block, onshore means that economic block. So the UK will have to do it in the UK and uh, the um, European countries uh, in the single market will need to do it in the single European market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so, I mean, then this move, this then takes us on to um, the next theme, which is more deglobalization, is kind of related um but the whole thing is is that um you want to make sure that um it's it's all related to the uh, um the you know the supply chains taking into account the um uh, increased amount of of um, geopolitical risk that we're seeing at the moment there's the shifting sands of um of the power that various countries and regions have had and are moving towards um at the moment and that is meaning also that we can't rely on any one area so therefore um we need to sort of spread um spread the sort of manufacturing Uh, capabilities but yes i mean what what do you think about that
1: no indeed i mean i i think i just um, in 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 my commentary uh, already Mm. linked up the two yeah uh, the the dynamics onshoring and deglobalization they're sort Mm. of part of the same theme yeah if i wanted to focus more on deglobalization specifically i'd say that in the absence of as much possibility to use the world as a global manufacturing base, mm. countries perhaps may see the need to forge links between themselves in a way mm. of like the single market or other economic uh, customs unions. Mm. Because, you know, that's second best. If I, if, if, if I can't invest all over the world, invest meaning put my manufacturing bases in other countries all over the world then one consequence is that i have to do it actually in my home market but my home market may be actually very small it, like mm-hmm. if you're the uk for example you're mid-sized well not, not, not mid-sized economy you're one of the global leading economies but it's a mid-sized market of 60 to 70 mm-hmm. million people and so there will be a limit to uh, what you can get from that market. There will be saturation point, uh, mm. which you reach more quickly than if you are operating in a bigger market. Now, mm. the UK has decided to leave that bigger market, but there is no reason why the UK and other countries of uh, um, in, in In that bracket would not actually see the need to perhaps forge closer economic ties in terms of customs mm-hmm. unions which do not go as far perhaps as a political union with which which the single market is trying to be, so maybe yeah. we see. Uh, as a consequence of the fact that you cannot actually, well, of deglobalization, not so much necessarily just onshoring, but maybe that is a driver for local, by which I now mean sort of local regions, for, for mm. regional yeah. uh, consolidation of countries in some form of economic, um, of economic, uh, of, of, Customs unions, this mm. sort of thing, economic clubs, customs mm. unions. Mm. Fair enough. Okay. And of course, I mean, if we get a Labour government back to the theme of uh, uh, of of election this year, if we see mm. a Labour government. They may well be on their agenda. It may well be to push the UK back into a customs union of um, of, of 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 some nature with Europe, if this mm. can be done. So that might be one political manifestation of the trend I just outlined.
0: Mm. Interesting. That's cool. Okay. Um, so the next uh, the next one is renewables. Mm. Um, loads of debate on renewables last year, um, and I mean, for instance, I mean, there was loads of um, there were loads of problems. Remember, there was you know, Orsted, um, and oh, there was other ones. There's various. Anyway, basically, lots of projects around the world, uh, renewables projects, particularly wind farms and things. Um, which said, look, uh, they, they either pulled out of, of major projects um, or they just came back and they said, listen, to, to the governments and said, listen, we're going to need more state support. Um, otherwise, the, you know, the, the costs have, have risen. So we there's a lot that we saw a lot of stuff last year. We saw the whole, uh, you know, Jeremy Hunt um, with the offshore, sorry, I think sort of onshore, Um, uh, wind farms, planning permission, that sort of thing. Um, But this year, um, I think that more countries are going to continue to want to have to be energy independent. Uh, But yes, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, this also goes back to some of the trends. I mean, increasing geopolitical risk, and now we're back in Russia, means that we can't rely on Russian energy. Germany Mm -hmm. can't rely on Russian energy. And again, we see the uh, issues which are arising in Germany because of that playing again into Mm -hmm. the hands of populism, by the way. So these things are all interconnected and related, of course. Mm -hmm. So we cannot afford to be dependable on some other countries um as providers of of energy mm. electricity etc um and and that sort of goes back to onshoring so we need to sort mm. of onshore the production capacities for energy mm. but what might they be yes they can only be the renewables or nuclear energy uh And renewables are a tricky issue. When you look at this in more detail, I haven't got the numbers at my fingertips now, but I will have if we actually do a specific podcast on this theme. renewables are more tricky than meets the eye if you for example look at a wind farm well, first of all a wind farm needs to be somewhere this is the 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 basis of this all onshore offshore debate with jeremy hunt where shall we build the on the the wind farm shall we do it in the irish sea yeah that's going to be cool because uh, then they're not on somebody's land you you know as, as soon as you build a wind farm on somebody's land that's particular person is going to be nimbiest on you mm. and is going, <laughs> going to say "Ah, oh, yeah very good idea but not here mate mm. and mm. there is yeah, lot- lo- love it love yeah. it just 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 go down the road a little yeah. bit more exactly maybe. love yeah. it it's in my neighbor's <laughs> yeah garden you know yeah yeah and and there is some level of i mean look i mean we all human beings i wouldn't necessarily like a wind farm to be built into the thames over here mm. And so so you can understand this, but there is another issue here. Wind farms are not cheap to build, and the mm. concrete which are used into the building of one particular farm actually produce a lot of CO2 in the manufacturing of them. So mm. while it is true to say that that particular ener- renewable energy is CO2 neutral in the production of the electricity it is not true to say that it is CO2 neutral in the construction of the mm. actual um, well mm, of the actual farm and the same goes for solar energy with solar energy you have the issue that these solar panels they degrade over time and at the end of a period of 10 years you have to actually recycle them in some way this is not the same issue as nuclear waste but it is an issue which is reminiscent of nuclear waste the solar Mm -hmm. energy is also not as easy the other thing about solar energy is you sometimes you get these ideas that oh well cool let's just uh, you know have half of morocco covered in a solar energy farm. That'll do, won't it? It will actually do in terms of the very theoretical calculation of the power output, but it Mm. won't do because because there's there's a very interesting, pragmatic, real-world issue. Mm. These wind farms would be so large that you need to transport the electricity which is being produced in the middle of them to the to the, to the fringes of the actual wind farm mm. because you can export them. And that makes the cost of that actually economically non-viable again. So mm. I'm going to stop waffling about this now, but I'm just wanted to indicate that there are issues with the non-renewable energies which are real, but which do not meet the eye mm. and which are not necessarily CO2 neutral, which mm. leads me or urges me to say that a indispensable part of an independent energy policy has to be nuclear energy, and oh. I believe that is going to be the trend over the next 10 years to oh. re- have a resurgence of nuclear energy in forms of more modern. Uh, Economically viable technologies, uh, hmm. micro nuclears micro—what are they called? Micro um, uh, small modular reactors, reactors. Yeah, etc. Et All these things—that is going to be, I believe, the focus of the next ten, yeah. twenty
0: years. Actually, along with that, though, I do think that um, uh, electricity storage—that's going to be something that is very yes. urgent because it's all very well but, um i mean it's difficult enough but, um generating electricity in the first place but actually hanging on to it is 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 even more difficult it seems yeah. and actually if you can have let's say an exponential increase in the efficiency of <clears throat> storage electricity storage that means that you don't have to have as many wind farms mm-hmm. because actually you can hang on to what you've got you even out the provision and it means that you don't maybe you have to have quite so many small modular reactors so i mean you know because that's the other thing if there is a lot of more um, geopolitical instability you would have thought well smrs are going to be massive targets aren't they surely mm-hmm. uh, you know which which is not going to be um you know something that i don't think many people are particularly talking about but you know these are things that I think everyone has to think about yeah
1: on on that you you, you mean chucking a bomb on a nuclear
0: yeah on an s m r yeah
1: yeah, I, yes, but then if you're willing to do this as a combatant aggressor, then you might as well chuck a nuclear bomb at something because True. nuclear bombs are a lot more devastating than chucking something mm. on a nuclear. On mm. a nuclear plant, or, or also, most of them have a containment. The containment is mm. a is a half sphere, and most of the bombs deflect from it. Oh, right. the, 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 this is deliberate; it's deliberately mm. done to actually minimise that risk. But nevertheless, okay. you are right. Yes, yes. Yeah. There is a risk.
0: Okay, um, so keeping it light, um, <laughs> <laughs> more, more targeted AI. I mean, obviously, I you know talked about this, um, you know, about uh, potentially sort of Microsoft Open AI and linkedin working together i mean that's just one example but i do think that um companies are going to want to see more and earn more from ai and uh, i think that's an interesting theme not just for this year but you know for years to come although i think it really is going to, there's going to be a real impetus this year um but what do you think oh yeah i absolutely i think ai
1: is is moving uh, maybe not next i i don't know when no maybe not this year but certainly within the next sort of 5 years i think ai is moving into the stage where it be- is becoming investable and by investable mm-hmm. i mean that it is a targeted um a single purpose ai which is housed in a corporate envelope into which you can invest Mm. and this this may be as wide as open ai well, we can 't invest in open ai it 's quoted on the stock market, mm-hmm. but of course Microsoft and others can mm. but i think I, I I think AI is going to move into the field where it is becoming investable, and that 's going to be like um, more oxygen to 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 the fire which is which is mm. ai and i 'm meaning this in a, in, a, in a positive sense mm. um, AI has so far been a single purpose AI, and I think it's going to remain that. I mean, the other, the Holy Grail, which people keep talking about of AGI, which is artificial general intelligence, I believe that is still further away than many science fiction aficionados may want it to be and much of the popular debate which is focusing on agi i think is probably more sensationalist than real the Mm. real developments are going to be in the commercialization of ai and the Mm. uh, applications which we are already seeing one of a nice example which we have talked about and you're going to it is it, an upcoming podcast, uh, mm-hmm. which we have talked about already, which will be published soon, I believe. Is the um the AI which Hiscox Insurance has developed with mm-hmm. um, with who, who was it? Um, um um I can't remember. Uh, uh Good Lords. I mean it it, it was um yeah. I think you Google. Google yeah yeah that's what it was yeah yeah. and uh, we were going that's a very interesting uh, that's a very interesting special or specific purpose AI it is sort of investable because invest you can invest in Hiscox and it's that sort of commercialization which I see a lot more
0: coming Mm. in the next uh, few years starting with this one. Brilliant. I am I'm going to try to upload that before this because I think that makes more sense to have that as uh episode okay. 845 and then but anyway it will be up well, there so the,
1: if, if you uploaded before then i will say we have done a podcast on this yeah well guys. we did
0: we did i mean this is yeah. we did do we did do but it's just uh, i've shut myself down uh over over the over the christmas period Yeah, um, was just a very good christmas us, so. period for everybody yeah yeah uh, well absolutely very quiet one anyway um, <laughs> that was your yeah. christmas present for yeah, yeah yeah yes christmas everything up for a month <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, there we go. See, you know, I'm, I'm a giver, I'm a giver. Um, so I'm all about the giving. Um, so, um, so, okay. So the last thing is, uh, about, you know, Middle East, uh, you know, Gulf States, et cetera. Um, or uh, more particularly Gulf States. Um, Last year, you know, we've seen um, a lot of movement within, um, say, Saudi Arabia, for instance, where we've seen them. Uh, so sort of Saudi Arabia's done this. Qatar has done this as well, um, and they're setting up all these, um, you know, funds or they're investing loads of, of funds into um, into things into things like sports, uh, tourism, yeah, you know, that sort of stuff, uh, in order to try to. I mean certainly in Saudi Arabia's case they've got this uh, i think it's horizon twenty thirty or whatever this plan to try to wean themselves off um oil revenues um and I think this is a theme that's gonna continue and ramp up um in the bid to try to um you know broaden their re- revenue streams and ultimately um you know make more money. Um, and not have to not have to rely on oil um, yeah. but um, and the other thing at the same time is they seem to ha- they've got a lot of money they've got a lot of growth going on now they've got a lot of growth potential Um it kind of reminds me a bit of of, of China maybe 20 years ago um, where it was one of those places where countries might hesitate initially to invest in because of the political risk and there's a opaque nature of the economy for for many especially in social media for instance where there's a lot of censorship but um companies and industries just threw money at it anyway because it was the only massive growth story in in town uh and by town I mean the world and <laughs> and I kind of mean you know maybe this time is Is the same going to be happening with, say, the Gulf states like Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Qatar, places like that, because they're the ones that have the money that can pay for the growth. So um, I wonder whether we're going to see more and more uh, investment there. I mean, actually, last year, for instance, I think, you know, lots of lawyers and things were moving over to, I think they were going to Riyadh, I I think it was. you know, opening offices there because, unlike most of the rest of the world, there's still M and A going on over there. Um, so, obviously, if you're a lawyer, for instance, you go where the well, you go where the work is. Um, but anyway, what do you think about that?
1: well on, on on that one i 'm less um, clear th- th- than mm-hmm. you are i mean there 's definitely an opportunity there, but it is it, I'm, i don 't quite know where the growth is i mean mm-hmm. to me i mean if you if you look at all the middle Eastern economies, most of them are uh, Sort of uh, not very diversified. Would almost say single-purpose economies. Mm -hmm. That's no longer true as much as it used to be true 50 years ago. But most of them are of course based on the extraction and export of uh, of 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 resources, mostly Mm -hmm. oil, but also gas to some extent. And um, it's places like Saudi Arabia, which is the biggest, uh, certainly the biggest Middle Eastern oil manufacturer in the world, and I think the second largest in. So, sorry, the sec- the biggest in the Middle East and I believe the second largest in the world. Well, they know themselves that the source of their wealth is finite because mm-hmm. non-renewable energies are going to run out at some point. And mm-hmm. they know themselves that they have to actually rebase their economies on a more diversified um dynamic structure, and that is of course what they're trying to do. So to the extent that they will be able to do that, to the extent that other economies can be domiciled there, which do have growth potential, I would would agree with you. Mm. At the moment, If I use an analogy, which may only make sense to me because I've been an analyst for for so Hmm. long, at the moment these economies look to me as if they are uh, companies, similar to companies, which... With limited growth potential, but huge cash generation potential. So, so these generate cash like nothing else. And if you, there were a company, they would pay dividends. Hmm. But they don't really pay dividends, do they? They just have the cash they generated in 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 their economy, and then they buy lots of hmm. assets in other in in, in other countries. Now, hmm. that in itself is not something which is interesting to an investor. So they would need to be able to truly use the cash generation which they have in order to domicile new genuine growth industries in their economies and at the same time, in their countries, and at the same time, I believe, also liberalize their societies and inject more notes of democracy into Mm. their societies. Now, this is a bit subtle because China has not done that. They basically just chucked uh, communism out of the window and um, replaced it with capitalism in the economy, but they have not replaced communism and totalitarianism in their political governance. Mm. And it Mm. worked for them brilliantly. So. While it is not true to say that it is therefore indispensable for, econo- for lasting economic growth to be supported by democracies, there are studies which have clearly shown that when you open a society towards democracy, then this is again like oxygen to, to, to a fire. So I mm. would say the, these are things which I would watch closely in the Middle East before I would uh, identify the Middle East necessarily as a object of foreign investment at the very least i would constrain the the uh, circle of countries which would be legitimate targets of investment perhaps to the gulf states uh, because we can see at the moment with the cauldron of violence which the middle east has become how the uh, competing interests which are based on ideology and religion effectively make effectively uh, raise the political risk to a level where it is it must it must be very difficult for investors to actually look at the middle east at the moment and say mm. this is something where we can safely invest which which goes back to the very first theme which we explored or the second theme which we explored in terms of globalization which is mm. uh, clearly uh, well Political risk militates against globalization, and so to the extent that you still have political risk in the Middle East, which I think is going to be a staple diet for the next decades to come, Uh uh, any legitimate investment, I believe, needs to be focused on perhaps the Gulf states there, and then to the extent that they can actually... change the dynamics of their economy from a one purpose
0: economy to one which is more diversified fair enough there we go well thank you very much indeed i mean very interesting discussion i mean there's so much to talk about um you know i i did find you know writing all this stuff over the over the um over over the holiday period it was really interesting i mean it's it's a good job i find It's a good job. I love this stuff. Um, But um, I just, there's so much going on now. You know, there really is so much going on now. There's so much potential change. Um, So, you know, we're going to do our best to try to keep you informed about those changes um, in our various podcasts. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just thank you very much, um, Ralph, as always, for being a... Complete and utter legend. You were worried about what I was going to say, then, weren't you? Yeah, I was <laughs> actually a complete and utter dot 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 legend in your yeah. case. Uh, so I was so, like, already yeah. doing the thumbs up, and then I thought, well, I'm, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. But anyway, look. Um, thanks so much. Uh, always brilliant, um, and um, yeah, we'll, we will be back again very soon. We'll be and, back. Yeah. <laughs> I love
1: love waiting for years to say that. Fantastic. (laughs) Thanks, guys, for listening. Brilliant. Cheers.